to the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series, where I, your host, Chris Walton, go deep with experts within their field of expertise to learn all we can about the topics that matter most in terms of how the future of retail will unfold. I'm excited to introduce our guest today because his company, 1010 Data, has been a big partner of ours over the years, and they just released an incredible report, one I've read cover to cover a few times already on the state of the grocery industry, has even inspired some potential new articles so stay tuned. And to speak about that report and its findings, joining me today is Jonah Ellen, 1010's Chief Product Officer. Jonah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really thrilled about this conversation. I've seen, I mean, I really have. I've read the report. I think I've read it three or four times now. And there is some just mind-blowing data in it, and I want to get to that. But, but I think first, before we get into the state of the grocery industry and what it all means for the future, you're an expert. That's why we do this series. So I want to know, like, what? How does one become a chief product officer at a company like 1010 Data? What's the career story for you here, Jonah? Uh, it's certainly been a journey. Um, I started my career in technology and was a generalist. I played in the financial service industries, uh, management consulting, and then I spent ten years at IRI. And okay. ten years at IRI started off saying, "I'm not a retail expert. I'm not a subject matter expert." until there was the meeting where I looked around the room and said, why am I here? And they said, <laughs> okay. you're the subject matter expert. <laughs> and uh, it's obviously something that was a little bit surprising to me as I've kind of grown into that, working with so many clients in the retail space and the CPG space and the experts at that organization. Uh, moving on to uh, Dunhumby, I learned a lot surrounding customer analytics and uh, finished up my last stint at Engage3. So generally, I've spent a lot of time in the industry learning a great deal from both the companies I've worked at, but also the retailers, CPGs, uh, and the other vendors and suppliers in the space. And I think with that in mind, I've gotten to the point where um, I have the unique opportunity at 1010 Data to work with an outstanding group of people using data on a platform that allows us to apply analytics and data science to answer questions and find insights in the data that otherwise wouldn't be possible. Yeah, so it's been a really exciting journey for me and I'm proud to be at 1010 Data. It sounds like it. I mean, tell us, tell us more about that too, because it sounds like you've been at this for a while and you've seen, like you mentioned, you've seen it from a lot of vantage points. Just real quick before we get into the report, like how, how have you seen things change, say over the last 10 or 15 years as retail's undergone this transformation, you know, at a high level from a data perspective is maybe people that are new to this topic or are listening to the first time, like how would you kind of put that into context for them? And then specifically, as you said, 1010 data, what you're excited about, how does that fit into everything too? Yeah, Chris, I think the focus has changed over the years. Okay. It used to just be, I need to track where I am. Help me understand my sales, help me understand my share. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. And reality is it's no longer enough. Consumers have so many additional choices. There's so much transparency in the market due to what's going on with digital, uh, with the e-commerce platforms that are there and with the different ways and different channels in which consumers have the option to shop. So understanding the consumer, understanding those options and competition has really become critical. Across all so the different types of being able to look at things at that macro level only isn't enough. Okay. It's not enough to consider all consumers in one geographic area alike. 
Got it. Okay. Well, and so that's probably a good segue too. So as we talk about, so you, you, you're Tencent data and you got, you just produced a report uh, on the state of the grocery industry. Talk in the context of what you just said, which I think is probably an important light to put all of this, you know, what was that report? How did it come about and how does it do what you just described? Sure. So getting into the hearts and minds of consumers is always a challenge. Uh, 1010 has a number of panels that are all opt-in that enable us to see buying behavior and get to really see more behind the scenes of what's driving the business, what's going up, what's trending. We're able to kind of see things before they might emerge uh, in normal channels using alternate data. And bringing that information to the forefront, applying data science to it, we're able to get insights that aren't just based on the gut of what we think is going on, but what we're actually seeing in the trends that we're emerging and able to then track through the use of these panels. And tell, tell the listeners, what does that mean too, when you say panel data and being able to kind of put different sets of panel data you know, against the data science? Give us more too, exactly. What, what are you saying there? Yeah, so these are individuals who have opted to share their buying behavior with us. Okay. So we're really seeing real world behavior and with millions of panelists, we're able to bring that together and see the trends themselves very specifically, but also project out what does that mean in terms of the total US, for example. So being able to have that many users giving us their information and enabling us to spot the trends, see what's changing, and then understand them is really critical. Also, since it's a longitudinal study, mm. we're able to see which are, are trends for the moment versus those things that are sticking and becoming habits. So what, so, okay, with grocery, okay, so, yeah, wow, okay, I, that longitudinal part is really cool. So I think, so as you looked at grocery then, let's talk about that. What were some of the big, say, things that you saw happen over this past year since, say, let's, last March 2020? What were the big things that you teased out from this report? I don't think it will surprise anyone that online grocery is up in a massive way. I mean, it's up 133%. And when you think about online shopping, online shopping is only up 66% of the whole. And, you know, that 133% is just massive. The U.S. had been waiting for a catalyst. There were already things that were moving towards digitization. There were already things that were moving towards e-commerce. But with COVID, with the reluctance to go into grocery stores, with the need to find what you wanted and to really change the game up. This was a massive accelerator across the industry. It's also given retailers the opportunity to do things in a staged manner. Buy online, pick up in store has been a big boon for consumers in terms of convenience, but it's also given retailers a stepping stone without having to solve for that last mile of delivery. Right. How, how, why do you think that is? Like that was, I, it's funny you said that exact statistic because that was what that was what jumped out off the page to me right in the beginning. Online grocery up over, I think it was like 133%, if I remember the database, what you just said, like an online's up only up in the 60s. Why was, why was online grocery up double? Was it because the base was just lower to start? Was there actual some consumer sentiment or behavior that was pushing that? Like. What is your collective take on that? I think part of it's that a lot of other options were taken away. Okay. Dining out at restaurants became a lot less favorable. Substitution effect. Um, okay. And while delivery of food is now skyrocketing, 
it wasn't something that was in commonplace. It wasn't something that was embedded in the hearts of consumers, that there were all these delivery services that were easy to access. In terms of regular online shopping, there's certainly things that people needed. There's certain things that they wanted as they began nesting and working within their own bubbles. <laughs> but also there's that aspect of, I'm no longer going out. I'm no longer doing a lot of the things that I used to do. I imagine luggage sales are down sharply. <laughs> I should ask you that, right? No. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, yeah, so the base was lower, so that's a little bit, but then you're right. Like, I never hadn't thought about that, like that substitution effect of like, you could eat out, whereas with the other categories, you don't have that same dynamic going on. You mentioned Bopis too. What what was the big, I mean, everyone's talking about that, but what are, what are the maybe key data points that really bring that home in terms of how, you know, consumer behavior has shifted in that direction? Buy online pickup in store is really a, a huge story right now. Um, the growth that we've seen in this has been over 400%. Whoa. So when you see those 100% on the online, everyone's eyes pop out of their head. But when you think about that buy online pickup in store of the Bopis going up 400% for some of the big box retailers, it's really an astounding figure. Uh, the convenience that's there, the aspect of a consumer's mindset that says, in today's environment, I don't want to waste my time going to a store if they're not going to have the product that I need. I want to minimize how much time I'm spending but I don't necessarily want to wait for it to be delivered and have a large box dropped off on my doorstep where all I have for security is my ring doorbell. Right. Or pay for that delivery too. I mean, that was the big, my family went through that big aha too. Like when you start looking at the delivery fees, it adds up and you know, that local big box retailer grocery store is just right down the street. You can save a lot of money that way too. So that, which leads me to my next point, actually. I mean, I think the other big thing coming out of this, that if, if you're listening, you got to look at this because this is this is some massive potential change here. What about the delivery services, aka the Instacarts versus what you see in terms of, you know, direct interactions with these retailers, whether it be delivery to home or, you know, buy online, pick up at store. The delivery service third party story here is fascinating. Instacart's a huge story. I mean, you can't you can't talk about this space without acknowledging what they've accomplished. Um, they've brought that last mile delivery to so many retailers who just would not have gotten there on their own. Uh, additionally, the partnership that they formed with Costco really accelerated their growth. Uh, also made Costco one of the big winners in what was an environment where they were already winning. So the growth of Instacart, the ubiquitous nature of it across the industry um, is, is huge. I don't think anyone would have predicted at the beginning of 2020 that Instacart was going to surpass uh, the Walmarts of the world when it came to uh, grocery delivery. Yeah, and they're sure. Yeah, what types of numbers are you seeing that point to just how strong Instacart's present it, presence has been during this period of time? Yeah, I mean, back between February and April of 2020, Instacart gained 19 share points. Jeez. which is absolutely unheard of. Um, that type of lift and that type of, um, you know, dominance in the market is just, you know, unexpected and something that I would say, say is, you know, really both taking advantage of what was going on in the marketplace, but also just knowing that the value of their service 
and what they were able to provide to communities at that time. It's astounding. Yeah. And that, wow, that's just incredible. And that gets, that's incredible. Like that number, 19, 19, that, well, that gets me to my next point, my next point, because I've had a few people tell me recently and, you know, I'm doing webinars and things of this nature and different talks and presentations. And many times people will tell me, and often quite arrogantly, they'll say, you know, that they think much of that, especially the, like the types of numbers you just quoted, um, those are changes in shopping behavior that were ephemeral, that they're going away, that this whole interest in Bopis and Instacart is going to subside. I personally don't agree with that at all. Um, after reading your report, actually, I think I agree with it less, but instead of putting words in your mouth, how do you guys look at that? Like, do you think these changes in behavior are here to stay? And, and what makes you think one way versus another? I definitely think they're here to stay. Okay. There will be changes for certain. You know, they say that habits take 18 to 254 days, 66 days on average to create a habit. We are well beyond those ranges. <laughs> That's true. The better things that people are doing, the things that make their life uh, easier, more convenient, those are here to stay. Uh, provided those services don't go away or don't become cost prohibitive, and in fact, they should become more efficient and more effective, these aren't going to go away. Um, I lived in the UK for a few years. Uh, while I was there, I became really accustomed to online grocery delivery and shopping. I had my favorites. I had my way of doing things. When I moved back to the US, it was culture shock. Yeah, I bet. It How was that adjustment? <laughs> it took me longer to adjust to that change than almost anything else being back in the US. Really? Um, so I think that there's opportunities there uh, to continue to expand these. And also opportunities for the retailers as they get better and more efficient to better interact with their customers and both inspire them online in ways that they used to only do in store, uh, but also to continue to foster loyalty and brand relationships. Mm -hmm. And what, like, what's some of the data that, that I think backs up that opinion too? I mean, um, like you mentioned that there was a huge share growth in, in Instacart at the beginning. Now I'm curious, like what as stay at home at stay at home as excuse me as stay at home orders relaxed, did we see everything start to go back to normal, or was Instacart just kind of keeping its share throughout this entire period of time and continues to do so? Like, what does that look like? There's a little bit of a shift back towards other behaviors, but it's surprising how little share they lost. I um, mean, it's surprising how little people's behavior changed in terms of other online deliveries as well as the uh, BOPIS. So while we may have expected everything would just go back to normal, I think we're all realizing it's gonna be a long time and there's going to be a new normal. Interesting. When people find things that make their lives better, whether on purpose, by accident, whether they're forced to or not, they tend to stick with them. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that as we move forward. And you're saying that based on your experience living overseas and then also from what you're seeing in the data. I mean, same question on Bopis. Like, are we seeing that same pattern there? Like the people, the detractors that are, like to argue with me, are we seeing the same pattern there? Like, I've been curious, like say, when you look at Sam's Club, been all over buy online, pick up in store, you know, as the stay-at-home orders are relaxed there, are we seeing, you know, a shift back to how things were in the past or is Bopis now a continued reliable part of how they're doing business? Opus seems to be something that's here to stay. I think okay. people have found the benefits of it and will continue to grow. Additionally, this is an area where I would suspect that retailers are going to go with the hybrid approach. 
Okay. I think they're going to continue to expand the ways in which people shop, which gives you the opportunity that the things that you always buy can be available for pickup when you reach the store or on checkout. But it also gives you that opportunity to explore the store, be inspired, and find the things that you may not have thought of when you were doing the purchase. Bringing efficiency to that shopping experience and changing the game is a serious opportunity. And bringing those two together so the products that you're happy to have someone shop for you are taken care of, but the things that you feel more personally attached to, things on the perimeters of the store, whether it's fresh meat, pro produce, seafood, et cetera, you are able to select those yourself while still saving the time using the BOFIS process. Yeah, and then I think from the retailer's perspective too, it also gives you a little more control over your own destiny in terms of what that overall brand experience is and also providing hopefully a higher value experience for your consumers like we talked about in terms of saving money. Well, let's keep going on that though. I think enough of my pontificating, but let's keep going on that. Like what, as you look at all of this, like we just said, you know, the big takeaways, e-commerce is way up, the delivery, the delivery services are here to stay. Bopus is still for sure here to stay as well. Like what's your predictions for the future? Let's kind of put our Nostradamus hat on here together. Like, what do you think this all means in terms of how retailers brands should start to interact and think about this changing world? I think leading retailers are going to embrace the new shopping habits. They're going to look forward. They're not going to look backwards. They're going to realize that there are opportunities to meet your customers' needs better, faster, stronger, enabling them to continue what they're doing today and then pick up the things that they may be uncomfortable doing right now, but they'd like to do in the future. I think a lot of that will come forward in terms of the expansion and the ways in which they allow people to shop combining their channels, making hybrids, but also looking at the things that customers have latched onto that aren't traditional to the grocery industry, for example. Meal kits, being able to walk into a retailer and pick up a meal kit rather than having it shipped to you. Being able to go to a section and find everything that you need in a meal kit type format and be able to customize it. Mm-hmm. Here are all the ingredients that you need to make salsa, all on one produce pot. And then here's a recipe and a pointer to the store where you can either make it a vegetarian, a vegan, or uh, add your choice of proteins in order to fulfill that meal mission. There's a lot of opportunities that can make that experience a lot more like some of the experiences that people have enjoyed, but may not want to continue doing either due to the need to pre-plan, the inflexibility, or the overall costs as the economic conditions continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point, like in terms of like, how, does, how do the retailers start to find the middle ground between these different types of experiences and what they're doing online, but still to create the fluidity and the convenience of, of what they are doing once they go inside that store. What, what are you all seeing now? I want to put, I want to get a little wonky here at the end intentionally. Like, what are you seeing from, you know, a data perspective in terms of, you know, thinking about what e-commerce means to the industry as a predictor of the future, or even, you know, what you're seeing is people are, you know, sitting back at their headquarters and trying to digest all this information that's coming at them. Like, are you, are you seeing, are you seeing changes in terms of how people are even operating around this? Yeah. E-commerce is a really good way to follow trends. Um, you know, by way of analogy, it's, it's how you track the puck. 
yeah. it's flying across the ice at phenomenal speeds. And e-commerce is one of the ways in which data flows in in real time and can help you to track that, to see the trends, and then to better understand them. Putting things in context uh, through large opt-in panels like 1010 is a serious opportunity to see things before they're at the point where you're chasing uh, and you're able to get out ahead. Mm-hmm. And what's it like? What are what's what are the types of things you're seeing? Like you're you're seeing what types of information companies are using all the time. Like I, I have to wonder, like is report usage? Are we seeing shifts in report usage during this period of time? Like they're starting to pull data on different things in conjunction with the leading indicator uh, that is e-commerce. Like like what types of things are people doing at companies? Because I'm curious if those are listening, they're probably like, well, am I doing those things or not? Is my team doing those things or not? Like wh- where are you seeing those shifts? And bringing together the sources is really the key to the game, in my view. Uh, the leading retailers and some of our partners where we're looking at how do you take traditional sources and alt data, like the e-commerce data and like the panel data, how do you bring that together in order to see the trends, but also to verify uh, whether the trend is prevalent or whether it is only available in one channel? Uh, 1010 data believes strongly that harmonizing this data and bringing it together in a consistent view is critical. Additionally, it's hard to see things in the traditional drill down reporting. There's come a time where the data is coming in fast, things are changing regularly, and you really need advanced data science and more compute power to go after it. Adding machine learning and adding AI to find your exceptions and then to interpret what they mean as well as predict where they will be tomorrow is really where leading retailers and our partners are are heading. Um, Just doing the static reporting, there's too much of it which is based on trends. Mm -hmm. Versus year ago reports are going to be phenomenally challenging because who would have thought what the world looked like in March, 2020? And who would say that it's the same in March of 2021? Right. Things can change very quickly. They can also change uh, on a region to region and localized basis. What's an example where you're seeing that? You're right. I mean, those are almost, it's almost kind of useless when you start to think about it. Like what's an example where you see, where you've seen somebody do that well that you can share even at a high level, um, you know, where you've seen people take that different approach and think more predictively about you know, what's required to understand what they should be doing. Like, I have to think this has a ton of implications on technology investments, but I want to hear what you have to say about that first. One of the aspects that's really been critical is looking at consumer behaviors and how those have changed. Uh, Someone who may have previously shopped in one way may no longer be doing that. Someone who used to dine out four days a week uh, may now be cooking at home every day. So the previous customer segmentations and the way in which consumers were viewed by a business have certainly shifted. Additionally, there's the behavior of the channel analysis. How do they shop when they do come in the store? How do they shop when they're doing pickup? And what are they buying online? There's also that aspect of the path to purchase. What are the decisions that they're making? How are they making those decisions? Where are they deciding to buy and where are they abandoning either items or abandoning baskets? And being able to see that level of detail to understand the customer is really critical in today's environment. 
more and more retailers are getting down to that level of detail and looking at this so that they can service those customers better and not look at it in terms of on average, here's what my customers do. The challenge with average is there is no one individual who's average. You're always somewhere to the left, somewhere to the right, up, down, sideways, which means that when you're marketing everything to the average, you're really marketing to no one specifically. The ability to look at this data, understand it, and personalize both the assortments, but also the way in which you engage these customers, a huge opportunity that the best retailers are taking advantage of, which 1010 data is helping to enable. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I've not, th- I've not thought about that too, in terms of like how you've probably traditionally defined customer cohorts is now really, really different. And then now retailers in the sea of, okay, everything's changing. I need to invest. I need to get better. They've, a, lot of them, them, a lot of them have been muscling through it for the past, you know, not 10 months to 12 months. And now they've got to really sit down and say, hey, where do I make some of these technology investments? When quite frankly, a lot of them are capital constrained to do it. And you have to think about this sequentially. I think that's the big takeaway I have here before we get to our, you know, standard, how millennial are you for those listening? But that's the big takeaway here is you've got to have confidence in how you're structuring your data around understanding these questions so that you can invest in those uh, technologies that you need to run the business for the future in the smartest way possible, because you probably still don't have a lot of room for error. But if you're still using the traditional methods, chances are you're going to miss exactly like I, your analogy was great, like in terms of where the where the puck is going. Whew. All right. Any last words on all what I just said there, man? And then we'll play the we'll play the how many are you game? No, I think I think you've hit it. Um, you know, in today's environment, you need a way to analyze and understand what is the customer doing? How are they changing in real time? The ability to run something every six months is no longer relevant. Six months ago is forever. And frankly, two weeks from now may be a completely different environment. Being able to understand those shifts is critical in order to be competitive. But more importantly, if you're making these decisions with the customer in mind, knowing what they're looking for, what their needs are today, you're going to make better decisions for your business, for your business partners, uh, and most importantly, for those customers. So we're excited to be a part of that journey, working with the retailers and manufacturers in the space. Yeah, I think that's I think that's huge what you just said too, especially when you start talking about what decisions you're making about order management systems and whatnot too. Is you know, there's all the talk like we just said, even you just said it, macro level, BOPIS, third-party delivery services, online grocery. Well, retailers come in all different shapes and sizes, and deciding which of those and where you want to play and what you want to invest in can be a really different answer for all of them. And I think about that specifically as, you know, one of the areas of opportunity here in terms of thinking about, you know, where are you going to put your, what, in what basket are you going to put your eggs against all of those questions? Um, all right, man, that was cool. Um, all right, let's do this. How millennial are you? Um, all right, this is going to be great. We ask these same three questions. There, there are no right answers. There, there could be wrong answers, but there are no right answers. So when you were last paying for groceries, we talked a lot about groceries traditionally, are you pulling out a credit card? Or are you using some form of mobile payment like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay? You know, maybe before you, maybe you're still going into stores. I don't know. How, how are you paying for your groceries these days? Yeah. So when I'm not ordering online, either for focus or delivery, I am pulling out my phone in almost every case. Are you? Retailers have made that phenomenally easy. Okay. Um, I've got a Samsung device. So I'm using uh, Google Pay, but find it convenient, easy to use and where I can. 
I've got my loyalty card information on the phone as well. Nice. Uh, so I'm trying not to touch screens too much. Not that I'm overly paranoid, but uh, every little bit helps. Yeah. Now, see, I thought with your UK background, you'd be like tapping the credit card, but no, you're full on mobile phone. I like it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the U S having a uh, chip, but not chip and pin uh, has been an adjustment for me, uh, <laughs> but uh, coming, coming to terms with it and phone certainly helps a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right. How many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from a mobile app? See, in the last week, I'm over-indexing a little bit. Are I think you? Around three. And three. I, I know that's not huge that's from a millennial huge. standpoint, but it's yeah. a lot more than I used to do. Okay. Um, I've just, I, I've started realizing how convenient it can be. Um, I do a lot of my own cooking, uh, okay. something which uh, I think the family has been thankful for. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we need to change a pace and it is phenomenal how easy it is to jump on an app, uh, whether minutes before or sometimes a day, day before when I'm uh, closing down say, Hey, let's surprise everybody. Let's, let's get a little treat in. Yeah. It's funny. I always use these questions as my own kind of longitudinal study of how things are shifting too. And I've, we've been doing this now for, I think three years and seeing how people answer these questions. You mentioned meal kits and then you just said you're a chef. Is that, is that a, is that a train you're riding or are you, are you kind of doing all your own ingredient shopping? I'm curious since you said that before. I've been doing DIY. Um, okay. I, I, chef would be, be a bit of an overstatement. <laughs> I'm definitely a cook, uh, but uh, I, I enjoy it. I get a kick out of it. I haven't pulled the trigger on the kits yet. Um, I would say part of it is the fact that all of them want recurring orders. It feels like an awful large commitment to me. Uh, but I got very, very close the other day. One of my colleagues was strongly advocating for one that she enjoys. And uh, I, I got that was about the closest I've gotten to pulling the trigger. But I do think one more lecture from a family member on or reading this again, uh, maybe, maybe the uh, impetus to, to, to pull that trigger and get, get started. Nice. I'm actually all into it now. I never was at all. In fact, I used to kind of make fun of it, but the pandemic has changed habits so much that given where I'm at now, working from home a lot more, it's, it's changed my life. Like I actually now enjoy cooking, which I never did before. And now after this is all over, I could see myself going back into a grocery store to, because I enjoy cooking, right? Like that, I never thought that would happen. It was all because of the meal kits. But anyway, um, last question. If you could, this is my favorite. If you could only use one social platform, what would it be and why? Uh, so this is where I'm definitely not the millennial. Okay. Um, I would, I would likely be, be stuck on uh, LinkedIn for business purposes because okay. if, if I've got to live someplace, I have to live in the business world. For sure. uh, that's, that's where I am at this stage in my journey. But I would say Instagram is for okay. fun purposes. Um, the way in which they manage content, the way in which they've seamlessly integrated influencers and enabled you to follow content um, is powerful. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a shift coming. Um, I've got a Gen Z at home who has explained to me numerous times that the idea of posting your entire life online in excruciating detail uh, may be trending down a bit, but I still think Social media has a phenomenal place, both in terms of um, helping us to interact with others, but also to understand the world around us. And it's a great opportunity for brands to get out there and really interact with their customers on a more direct basis. And I think that's, that's part of the personalization journey and understanding how to do that uh, through data and others is a great opportunity. 
Yeah. Any, any, uh, Jonah, any guilty pleasure follows on Instagram that any of us should know about and anything that you're, <laughs> anything you're willing to share there <laughs> that we might uh, find, find interesting, make you more millennial. There is a DC food site. Uh, my brother lives in the, uh, Virginia area and, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact, exact name of it, but it is phenomenal. The, uh, meals that they post, um, I feel guilty just looking at them. Got it. Yeah. So you're, you're into the kind of the, the food visuals. That's your thing. I like it. I like it. Yeah, no, there's some good yeah. stuff. My wife's into that too. Awesome. How, how about yourself, Chris? What are you, what are you, what are you following these you days? You know what I got on Instagram all the time is like pictures of Ford Broncos coming into my feed. I, I like, <laughs> does, I, that's like my midlife crisis thing that I'm, I'm, well, maybe if I'm lucky, pull the trigger on at some point, but I've always wanted like one of those custom Broncos. So that's one of my, and then my partner, Ann, is in CrossFit. So I think because I'm friends with her, I have like a thousand different people working out in my feed all the time too, which, you know, can be good. At least keeps me motivated. But um, yeah, th those would be mine. Those would be mine. But uh, but yeah, hey, man, that was fun. That's why we do this, man. It's totally a fun thing to do at the end. And we really do get to see the trends. So, well, Jonah, I, I enjoy that conversation a lot. The, the State of the Growth Report, uh, we're going to have it live on OmniTalk for those listening here too. Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes as well. But if people want to, you know, learn more or get information, download the report from you guys, you know, where should they go? Sure. So we'll have the report on our website um, on March 2nd. Additionally, feel free to email us at info at 1010data.com. Uh, reach out to us through LinkedIn. Um, but Chris, thank you very much for having me. It's been a great conversation and certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not, I'm not that millennial, but, uh, on the other hand, I think it's a fantastic question and something, something new, perhaps I can strive to be more. <laughs> that's awesome. We've never had anyone say that, but Hey, that's, that's the name of the game, right? It's self-improvement. So that was awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for those listening again, Jonah Ellen. 1010 Data's Chief Product Officer. And I think we'll give him credit as a resident millennial at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, if you get a chance, check out the report. It really is. There are some mind-blowing statistics, especially when you look at what's coming, what's coming, or what we've been seeing with Instacart, and especially Bopus too, and especially some of the data in, in and around Sam's Club and how it compares to some of the other warehouse clubs. Like I said, I'll put in the notes. Thanks again for tuning in as always, but most importantly, I say it every time, and it's still important, be careful out there.